Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I am Ben Duncan, and this is a place where prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana share their stories. In today's episode, I'm joined by Vamzi Bolineni, the CEO of Access Global Group, a Salesforce consulting business with a head office in the US. Through the episode, we cover Vamzi's background and how he came to form Access Global. And then we discuss the journey he has been on with the business, which started with partnering with other partners to then going direct to customer. We look at how he's aligned the business to specific industries. He's built products, and also we discuss hiring and retaining staff. So it was interesting to uncover the journey of Access Global Group and some of the decisions that they've made along the way, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Vamsi, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Ben. No, my pleasure, my pleasure. So we've got a lot to run through. I'm, I'm keen to hear about your journey um, into the, the world of Salesforce and, and running your own consulting firm. But let's start at the beginning and, um, and I guess your career before Salesforce and then how you kind of found your way into the ecosystem. What did that all look like? So before Salesforce, I worked with uh, the big four company in DC. My majority of my work was in federal space around implementing Seabell and then eventually transitioned into Salesforce because that was the in thing back then around 2007, 2008 and then worked with some of the Salesforce partners, early Salesforce partners at that time. And transitioning into the Salesforce ecosystem was actually something that I was pushed while working at a big four company in Seville because Salesforce was something that one of the customers was pushing us towards. And that's how we got trained and we got transitioned. And then a lot of things are very similar because Seville is a CRM too. The concept is the same that we're trying to accommodate here. And Salesforce can do now a million more things than what it can do in the past. That's how we start. I started transitioning into Salesforce ecosystem. And pretty quickly, it started becoming more and more relevant in the CRM world. And then the role started evolving for me, started getting into the architect role pretty early in the game. That was pretty pretty important role at the time. That's how my journey started. So you were working, uh, as you said, federal government, like big Siebel projects. Was there a bit of a lag between um, when, you know, Salesforce became uh, the platform of choice to, to then government departments started utilizing the platform as well? Yes. So there, there was a lag. Federal government was the last group of agencies. Federal agencies were the last to adapt Salesforce because it's cloud. Because anything government, they're a bit concerned with having their data sitting on the cloud because they're all over, not just in the country, right? So that's a big concern. And again, Salesforce wasn't focusing really on the federal and state business at the time. And then the whole architecture is based on this. And we were competing with a couple of other products that were in the market, like right now is another CRM where they put your data in the office. It's not on the cloud. You have your own private cloud in your office. So we had a lot of uphill battles that we had to fight to go to market, but it, that's why the project got extended significantly on one of our, my first deliveries there. But again, we were supposed to be the first ones to implement in DC, Department of Education. But we ended up going, GSA was the org that ended up implementing before us because they were quicker. They don't have to fight as many battles as we did. 
and the implementation was much smaller. Mm-hmm. That's how it started. So when, at what year are we talking that federal government started adopting Salesforce? 2000, it's 2010. So that's, I mean, here in Australia, it's interesting because we're only really now starting to see federal government um, starting to, to, to go down the Salesforce path. I would say over the last couple of years, we've started seeing more federal agencies going down that route. And it's interesting, like you said, it's, it's the last one. So we've had lots of state governments really utilizing the platform, really pushing that far, but federal is only just coming along. But it's interesting that we're still so far behind the US because, you know, you, we're talking kind of 10, 12 years behind when federal started using it there. You need to also keep in mind the state agencies. We have 50 states now, now I think 52, but we have 50 states. There is always at least one state that want, that want to get ahead of the curve that's looking to spend. Yeah. It's easy to get the ear of the state versus federal. There is national security getting involved the second you touch federal, right? So mm-hmm. again, that's what we were dealing with. It's more stringent. They want to see all the states adapted before they start getting into the mix. Makes sense. And why do they need a big chain? And the cost is not cheap. Yeah. You can buy, the bigger thing is they can buy Oracle or SAP, the system's one-time cost. Whereas Salesforce is a subscription. Forget the technology, it's much ahead. But the cost is what they want to know first, even before to see what's inside. So that's a bigger push. But it's interesting because I used to recruit SAP and I I would see um, SAP projects running for like five years. So the, the cost of implementation, and, and I know obviously now Salesforce, um, the projects are longer and, and you know the, the projects are more complex, but a Salesforce project doesn't typically run for five years. You know, you might get the odd one that does. So the cost of an implementation of something like SAP must still be significant, um, I would imagine, higher. It is, it is significant, but Ben, what is the first thing that you would know when you're buying a car? Is it the cost of the car or cost of fixing it? Yeah, it's true. Right? So... You just need to first get the cost in front of it, which again, do you want to buy something that you had to pay every month or you just pay one time and you don't have to pay for life? It feels very motivating. But when we start breaking down the analysis, like how many people do you have to hire to maintain SAP, to maintain the servers in-house versus the servers are sitting on the cloud. You don't have to maintain 30, 40 people just to maintain the servers. So when we start analyzing it, it, this is actually cheaper. That's the route that we had to start justifying to even customers today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. So when did you decide that you wanted to start your own business? Was that always something even before you were in the, the IT world that you planned to do? Or was it something that kind of an opportunity you saw? Yeah, it's, that's always something that's been in, in my mind, but we thought it's going to be much later in my journey. But what came about is, so Salesforce is a tool that, again, is much easier than Seabell world, where I come from. And there, I used to work in telecom and Seabell. I'm very familiar with the telecom industry and their products too, right? So what came about is Salesforce telecom integration is very new. And there's not many, 99% of the partners, they don't have knowledge on how to integrate Salesforce to Cisco, Avaya, all these telecom systems. Now, I used to work on both sides, and I created a connector. So in my initial journey, when we started, we used to sell these connectors, and we used to do these call center implementations on Salesforce, very early stage. We did Blue Wolf of Massachusetts. We did a bunch, bunch of customers, right? So we did the Department of Education, D.C. We did the call centers. Now, 
eventually we have a bunch of customers in DC, in insurance, in healthcare, in state agencies. All of these customers, every big four partner or every big Salesforce partner used to come to us to help them with implementing because the deal is not small, but they don't have enough expertise internally to support this or direct this or guide this. And we were training a bunch of resources too in that domain to help those guys to get up and running. So that's how it started. We I created a connector that can talk to Cisco. That's how it started. And then we started taking it in the direction of creating our own corporation and start doing consulting work around it and eventually got into partner with partner. Yeah, because I know you did, you partnered with different partners, right? Initially, like you said, you had the expertise with telephony and, and connectors and um, and they didn't have that. But now, obviously, you've moved away from that model and, you know, you do your services business and, and a product business, but you, you do end-to-end implementations on your own and, and go direct to customer. Having gone down the route of partnering with partners, how difficult was it to make the move away from that model into to servicing customers directly? It's a little difficult financially, the spend. The spend is much higher for us. On the other side, if you're trying to run both, the spend is significant. What we had to do, some significant cuts in our effort to go into new partners, to partner on this thing right now, we only do strategic partnerships where we have bigger partners where they don't have any, again, the partner has to be certain size, certain million in revenue, and they had to have certain million of revenue that they can bring into Salesforce and they don't have any support internally. So we support them on pre-sales and any deal that comes in, we support them in deploying these projects end-to-end and under their white label. But again, we only do those with certain size big partners. We had a threshold now. So is that like when you say certain partners, is that non-Salesforce specialist consulting firm? So, you know, a consulting firm that might do management consulting that then they have a, a, a deal or a customer that's looking at Salesforce and you come in as the specialists? Ideally. Okay. It's management consulting firms or bigger billion dollar consulting firms who don't have Salesforce expertise, mm-hmm. but they need support. They might get Salesforce deals along the way, or they might start looking at Salesforce to see if this is something that will work for, for them to eventually build a practice. Yeah. And now, obviously, there's lots of partners popping up all over the place now, and, and some specialize um, in industries and verticals and others don't. And obviously, Salesforce have you know, they're pushing the kind of vertical or industry specialisms with um, different products uh, through velocity and things like that. So for you, have you specialized, have you targeted certain industries? And if so, why and, and what have been the benefits and also downsides of doing that? The way we target today is, again, we target financial industry. That's our number one industry that we target. If you ask me, you don't work with other industries, the answer is yes. We work with many. We work with healthcare. We work with education. We work with nonprofit. We got a couple of manufacturing customers. We got all of those. But in the eyes of Salesforce, we need to, again, the primary spend for us is going to be on the financial industry, meaning banking, insurance, wealth management, and mortgage. So that's what we stick to. But again, we, we support a lot of customers in a lot of industries. It might be our legacy customers, or it might be a customer that might have acquired one of our customers from a different industry just to add on, right? So again, we got a home building customer where they acquired one of our lending customers. So they're trying to offer lending to their existing customers that are coming for their home improvements or home building, whatnot. 
again, that, that's how we inherited a lot of those things. But we have a lot of healthcare customers and hospital customers from past life, even before we locked our direct focus within industry. Mm-hmm. And and when you focus on financial services, because you know a lot of people will will think you know the broader you go, the bigger the addressable market, and so on. But targeting specific verticals, um, you've done that before Salesforce started kind of pushing the vertical specialization. So, what has been the benefit of doing that for you over the years, and and really kind of drilling down on you know this is where we're going after, and, and we won't turn away other business, but our focus is on driving revenue with financial services. So this is again just to be the niche provider then because we can tell we do everything when you say everything the quality typically goes down whether it really goes down or not but in the customer's understanding oh everybody says we need we do everything yeah let's talk specifics right so we get into the specifics and we need to be able to start giving them examples that's going to comfort them that's the bigger focus when our sales team gets on calls with prospective customers by the end of the call, we want to leave the customer in a place where these guys know our industry. These guys know what I'm doing every day. With these guys, my life will get better. Mm-hmm. With Salesforce, with their, with they, the way they set up Salesforce for us and with my, with our direction, they should feel much better. That's how they should get out of the call. Yeah. When they get on the pre-call or scoping call or whatever, no matter how many calls we get on the pre-sales process, they should be able to comfort the customer at every level so that they don't feel like they should feel like we have we know the industry language we know what is needed what are some of the common gaps that we're fixing that will align with these guys too Mm -hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah i think um, a lot of consulting firms can learn from that because um yeah, I think initially when they start and they're small, they kind of go after everything from what I've seen. And then, yeah, you kind of can't build that trust with a, a stakeholder when you're discussing the ins and outs of their business. Because I think now more than ever, there's that kind of business consulting side of Salesforce as well, right? You need to understand their pain points to be able to solve it with the solution. True. But again, you also had to keep in mind a lot of partners when they start, they say they do everything because they're not trying to invest upfront a lot by industry so they're trying to take whatever they can get so they can build the practice right so that's a way to of course but there are some partners that are a spin-off who's who have been part of bigger firms and coming out with investment back or they're looking to go to a specific niche that is where okay i'm going to financial services industry and i'm gonna hire industry experts i'm gonna hire technical experts who worked in this industry, they're going to have these guys up front and then they're going to the industry that they already are familiar with versus people who are not in touch with a specific industry. We need to still yet to decide which is a best, better industry for us. Mm-hmm. The way we ended up going to financial industry is some of our big accounts, most of our bigger accounts are falling into the financial sector. That's why that's why we decided we're going to hang our head on the financial industry. Yep. That is where our bigger revenue, bigger customers, and bigger expertise or gold star accounts are falling into. Mm-hmm. And I guess having legacy clients is also beneficial anyway. Like having some diversification is important because you know if if there's a you know global financial crisis or something, and if you've only got finance clients, then then that makes things difficult. True, but so in my opinion, unless you again. Depends, right? So it depends on how much investment you are putting into it. So if somebody is starting from scratch, unless they're not 
they've been in the industry, they haven't worked deep, they've worked with them, worked in the industry pretty deep. I would just start with one industry, perfect it, and then start replicating it with other industries. That's what we're doing with some of our industries too. Mm-hmm. So our primary focus is financial services, marketing cloud, and MuleSoft right now. These are the three things that we focus on because every customer wants all these three things. Mm-hmm. And then we're expanding into a couple of other industries. Again, whether it's manufacturing, CPQ billing, revenue cloud, we're looking at a couple of other pieces right now in the expansion method. That's what we're looking at for the next six to eight months. Yeah. So when you say financial services, MuleSoft and Marketing Cloud, you're talking about financial services cloud specifically. Financial industry general. We are accredited to financial services cloud too because most of the customers in this industry they tend to use financial services cloud. But again, we also have financial customers who don't use financial services cloud because they already have Salesforce, mm-hmm. old sales cloud and all. We customize it to them to align or just take it to the next level because at the end of the day, we're starting to get into some heavy compliance sectors mm-hmm. here, right? Whether it's insurance, whether it's healthcare or auto insurance or workers' comp or however, whatever insurance policies that you're dealing with, right? So the security level of it and the compliance level of it is ultimately is defining the customer's comfort. When you're going and selling into this industry, if they know that we already worked with this industry with other customers, we have success stories that you'll be able to see on our website about each customer that we worked in that industry that's giving them an added comfort. This is not their first rodeo, first of all. Yep. Second of all, okay, these guys can give us best practices. That's going to make our lives better. Mm -hmm. That's what it's coming down to. You mentioned before, obviously, your business started with a product um, and you've continued to build products. And obviously, I mean, in my view, there's there's a difference with marketing products and services and like they're different businesses, right? They're they're different ways of like go to market strategy and everything is is different. So in your view, how different are they? And and what are the the kind of challenges that come up with running a product company inside a services business? It's not a complicated combination, but it's a weird combination in my opinion, right? So we had, we started off our practice with a product and even the goal is to sell more services around the product. Product is just to get the customers in the door and to sell more services. Eventually, we started partnering with these telecom vendors, Avaya, Cisco, all of these guys are our vendors. So we're at that point, we're product agnostic. All of these guys, oh, by 2013, we built our product in 2011. And we did decent revenue for the first two years, and we started build, cultivating relationships in 2013, 2014. All of these vendors have add-ons built similar to ours. So at that point, what do we want to do? The big thing for us is the consulting revenue, services revenue always. So we ended up partnering with these guys where we recommend to the customer, which is the product that you need to use. If they already have a product, great. We are the folks that talk both Salesforce and telecom language because that's the biggest gap. There's no one person that can talk both languages. There's a lot of disconnects, mm-hmm. right? So that's what we ended up doing. And again, and we stopped, we sunsetted our product in 2013, the telecom product, because now we are partnered with these guys. We, we had to be product agnostic. Whoever the customer prefers or whatever fits the customer's criteria, whether it's cost or features or however, that's what we recommend these vendors at the end of the day. 
And same thing, vendors are going to bring us into the mix when their existing customers are looking to go to Salesforce and they need help with integrating both of these things. That's how we used to start getting into the process, early stage of the pre-sales process, right? Now, the new set of products that we're selling now, when we started building, building them and selling them since 2019. So we started our direct customer practice in 2017 on the consulting side. And we have so many, again, as we're working through with some of the smaller customers or customers under mid-market, any customer above mid-market size, they're willing to spend the money. But smaller customers, they're not able to digest Salesforce unless there is an add-on plugin on App Exchange. Mm -hmm. So that is how these product are, these products are built. We have a product called Access Commissions, which is to calculate the commissions for the customers, sales reps or vendors or internally for other folks, right? So today to build a commission module, it can go anywhere from $100,000 to a million dollars for smaller insurance companies. Mm -hmm. We built these custom for insurance customers, for bigger firms. And we thought this is something we need to make it simple that even a third grader can understand. Something simple, no code should be as simple as possible unless it's outrageously complicated that that can be done normally. That's when we get into customization, but it has to be plug and play with a setup under a week. So that is the goal for every product that we have. Access commissions is the same thing. Access QuickBooks is the same thing. It's a plug-in between QuickBooks and Salesforce where the invoices, customers, everything sync with the two-week implementation time for that. Access Commissions is a one-week implementation. So Access Doc is for document generation. If you're trying to generate a contract, again, a lot of customers, they don't need electronic signatures right away on those things. They want to generate the docs and then they want to do other processes. Mm -hmm. So that's what all of our products are about. So we got four products, all of them are in the same boat. Plug and place, quick deployment, which is avoiding at least $100,000 to a million dollars implementation fee. This is big for smaller customers under mid-market because we are adding value to Salesforce because every product of ours, they had to have a Salesforce license for every user that is, that, that is touching our product. They can't just have five Salesforce licenses and have 50 people on our products for commissions. Yeah, Everybody that is touching our product has to have a license. This is also helping us to sell more, more Salesforce licenses in a way. But cutting the implementation timeline and cost, which the customer is significantly concerned about. So um, these products have been born from, you know, servicing larger customers that have these problems, and then you build a product that, that suits a company with a smaller budget, perhaps. But I mean, that makes sense, right? You've seen the opportunity and you've, have you, have you created any products that you have found that just don't have the market fit once they've been built? Not really. So the way all of our products are been, so these are from the learnings with the multiple customers, not just one customer, right? What is a common problem? Some problems might be very basic. Why do we not have a plugin for something like this basic? Mm -hmm. That's how these came up from. And again, what we had to do is we built many things for many customers. Now, not everything that we built is going to work. We had to restructure all of those to generalize. And all the products that we have were industry agnostic. 
they can be used in any commissions can be run on any industry, not just insurance, not just banking, not just lending, not just mortgage. Any basic company that needs sales commission calculated, we can use those. Right. So we had to restructure, redesign a lot of our learnings to fit into something that can be bendable easily. Mm-hmm for any industry and and what about like marketing these products is it typically um like it will be a product you know you would recommend to a customer that you're working with it or that you're in discussions with or is there because obviously like if they're on the app exchange that's marketing on there like they're searchable but do you have to do much is there much spend externally from you know the the app exchange to to kind of get these products in front of people so we have marketing campaigns that are running separately for products because the products are something that we sell all over the world, not just mm-hmm. in the U.S. Consulting services is something we only sell in Canada, U.S., and some parts of U.K. right now, right? So, But for products, we market all over the world. We got a dedicated marketing team that is working on products. Again, we have a team in India that's actually supporting with our email marketing, bunch of those things, and the whole team that's supporting the products are offshore. Onshore teams are ideally taking over and implementing them if it's a customer in the US or Canada, only then they come into play. But ideally, we have a team dedicated towards both of these. And what we're trying to do is we also give it to existing customers if there is a need. We recommend we have a product. Again, they can see the demos, they can try the free trials, all of those things, and only if it's a fit to move forward. But we don't try to push those because the sales team on the consulting are, again, they're not they're there to sell their implementation services, not the product. Because at the end of the day, product is not a fit. Ultimately, it's gonna affect our CSET on the consulting side, we had to be very careful on our recommendations too. So we had to do our due diligence pretty deep mm-hmm. on those. If you separated the two businesses, services and product, which one would give you more headaches? I wouldn't say headaches. Uh, so there's more process involved in the consulting services side. Product, there is more learnings that we had to do and we have to constantly keep up with the features. But again, because we only have four products, And our customer base is comparatively much smaller on the products versus consulting, right? So there's more learnings and more process tweaking that we had to keep doing constantly with the new learnings or new problems or new fixings that we come up with. So that's something that is going to be big on the services side, Mm -hmm. always. And then obviously you keep the team separate, right? So you have the support team offshore, but the products have come from the knowledge you've gained from services. So how do you ensure there's that kind of communication so that if a new idea comes up, you know, the product or a new feature, like there is that crossover, enough crossover to ensure that, you know, new features are being added? So the way this goes about is, uh, Ben, so we, we follow the same thing. So Salesforce has something called Idea Exchange. So we go through the same uh, same side. So sales team and delivery team on the consulting side, they also have the feature recommendation log that we do internally. Mm-hmm. And based on those things, whatever is most requested. Again, every pre-sale, we have logs that are going on, what is requested, what happened when our product is demoed and all of these things, what is missing? Why did we lose the deal on this product, right? So based on how many deals we lost because of the feature X, those are all the logs and learnings that we do, just like how we would do, again, even again on the services side, why did we lose a consulting deal? 
mm-hmm. because okay we don't support this industry or we don't have expertise in something specific or we lost to another partner because of various other reasons right so same thing we use those but the the people who are architecting the product side are the people that are coming from that specific industry who knows the industry who worked in the industry not the salesforce world they're coming from the industry use case every day and they're very close to them and we have advisors on that side on the board who are coming from that industry and have a couple of companies on the mm-hmm. on their portfolio today so that's what we have on our board that is making our recommendations yeah, that must be very, uh, very useful. Um, and in your business, your turnover rates are, are low in comparison to a lot of consulting firms. You know, and it's been we've been through a phase where people are moving jobs regularly. You know, there, there's been um, a lot of talk about the great resignation and all, all of this um, stuff. So, how, what, why do you think that is? Why do you think you've been able to to retain and, and keep staff at such a decent level? So again, the whole retention rate for us has been very low and it's under 5%, right? So on these things, the, the bigger reason is the culture because we're not, we're not a very big company compared to these bigger partners, like 500,000 people. We are around 120 to 100 people, but I know every single one of them inside. And I personally touch with the teams at least once a month with it, at least every single one of them once a month or one, once a quarter. But again, we're trying to do that as long as we can. But on the other side, we're trying to encourage the whole family culture. Mm -hmm. That's the bigger core of our business. So everybody knows everybody to a personal level. Again, even if not deep enough, just enough so that to know, to jump in and help others, there's always going to be politics, no matter where you are. We're trying to avoid those as much as we can and start encouraging these things because at the end of the day, we start preaching inside and start educating folks inside with our onboarding too. The productivity going into politics is better off going into the real work or making the process in such a way that streamlines internally because nobody is an expert internally. Everybody is learning something. When we bring somebody new, we tell them again, we have some processes real nailed down really well, but again, we're not perfect. If there is something that you think that can be done better, feel free to raise your voice and say, don't worry about anything. Nobody's mm-hmm. going to worry about anything. Just feel free to make recommendations that will fix the things or make things more streamlined internally. But going back to your question, family culture is something that we encourage big time and we educate employees. Family comes first. Work, work comes next. What's the point with you doing all the work and trying making all the money at the end of the day? trying to make get, have a good life with the family. So this is something we emphasize on. That's what it's com- coming down to. I think that's what is helping us. Has retention been more difficult, like fostering that, that culture and environment and collaborative? Um, has that become harder because of the remoteness of workforce or have you kind of always encouraged a remote model? We're always remote. We've been remote since 2013. Okay, yeah, so you've really nailed that down. The only thing is our offshore teams where we have office locations and all, Big office locations, we ended up just making those remote because of COVID. And that also helped us in a way that we didn't expect it would. We were planning on bringing folks back in early 2021, but we decided this is the path I think we should do because it's much easier for us at the recruiting standpoint. And also a lot of 
resources, again, all, also the higher resource, higher role resources, it's hard to hire them when we're taking the remote option off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, just in terms of uh, other challenges, what would you say the hardest part of running a Salesforce practice in, in this day and age is? Scaling up fast enough. That's always the challenge. But again, on the other side, it's also the keeping up with the cost, uh, Ben, because today we're trying to follow the culture. We're trying to follow every other norm just to make sure that we are on par with the other employers in the industry just to motivate the cost of benefits and all, everything is going up. Mm -hmm. So we had to constantly recalibrate our position in the market and our pricings to the customers and the cost that we're spending. That's the biggest challenge that actually had gone significantly up compared to where we were 10, 12 years ago. Yeah, I can imagine. So that's the biggest thing we started looking at because just looking at our benefit package, right? We scaled our benefits from five benefits in a package to 20 or 25 benefits. Like we have a couple of different policies, insurance policies, life insurance policies. We have those from the beginning, but there's like five other types of policies, like extended sick leave policies, a bunch of those things. And unlimited PTO is a big thing that we just unveiled a couple of months ago, which is becoming a common norm. That's a big cost yeah. that we had to digest to, but which is becoming an industry norm. And it's interesting because um, obviously, yes, costs are going up to consulting firms. But like everyone would just say, well, pass on the cost to your customer. But there's so many different partners now for, you know, that's a very competitive space in that, you know, there's always someone trying to undercut because they're trying to take market share. So it, it must be hard to get the balance right of charging customers the right rate, paying employees the right salary and also being a profitable business. That's always the balance that we got to maintain. There's no right answer for it. Just like the cost caliber, we can't always pass the cost to the customer. It's really going to come down to we had to be stringent on giving out the freebies to the customers. So there are some cases we'll be a little, okay, again, these are smaller things. Let's just see the cost and make the customer happy. We might have to tighten those. Mm -hmm. But that's what it's coming down to. In the past, we were doing more of those things just to motivate the customer because let's, okay, the customer is doing X dollars a project with us. We're okay to spend some extra money make them happy that's okay but those are going down the freebies and the spend limits that the internal team has on whether it's swag or whether it's internal entertainment budgets all of those things we, we tighten on those things but again on the other side we're just rerouting those towards the wellness of the employees and the internal processes yeah yeah nice and uh, i guess finally in terms of like future growth opportunities and where you see you know continued opportunities to scale as a business you mentioned marketing cloud and mulesoft which obviously were two acquisitions of, of salesforce over the years do you instantly like when salesforce acquires a company do you instantly need and look to grow a service line around that and is that how you'll continue to grow and scale your business by continuing to align with what salesforce does from a product perspective no, so that was never the focus for us. Again, we never look at the acquisitions that they do and try to grow around them because the acquisition Salesforce is doing primarily right now, again, there's going in two directions, right? One, they're acquiring the partners to grow their existing headcount or to support their internal ecosystem. And two, they're buying these products to integrate into their existing functionality so their capabilities are get going up. So to meet the ecosystem's needs, right? So the way we typically look at is, 
So we work with, again, a bunch of folks in the Salesforce ecosystem too, and I work with Salesforce pretty closely, a lot of things. So we try to see where is the need. So is the need more, again, today there is a need in the financial industry that we're focusing on. There is a need in banking. There is a need in insurance. There is a need in wealth management, asset management, or mortgage. But what we look at is the specific pieces not just the whole industry, we look at the niche. Where is the biggest gap today that is stopping that from Salesforce being able to sell more deals? Is it with insurance? Uh, is it with carrier insurance carriers or insurance agencies? Or is it with something related to a specific integration that they're not able to do between Salesforce and other systems in the industry that is stopping them being being able to go from 100 from 50, right? So we look at those gaps and we have these, again, we try to come up with these pre-built integrations, which we don't productize them, which we call them accelerators mm -hmm. internally. Accelerators, and we try to start building a story around those so that Salesforce is comfortable. They understand how this works. And then they can take it to the market and sell and bring us in when the time is right. Yeah to support them, to comfort the customer. So again, our role here is to comfort the customers and with something they feel comfortable so they have an end-to-end -end solution. Because today, there are a lot of solutions, but they're not complete. So the whole end-to-end -end 360 and with some recommendations on best practices and how others are doing, that's what we're trying to bring to the table. Mm -hmm to comfort the customer and also Salesforce so that they have support to, again, take the story all the way through to the finish line. Yeah, because, I mean, it would be easy to get carried away. Like, so as an example, when COVID was closing down um, retail premises, obviously Commerce Cloud was, was growing significantly at that point, right? So as a business leader, it would probably be easy to say, right, now we need to, to bring Commerce Cloud into our suite because, you know, there's a lot of spend in that space. But then if it doesn't align to the broader strategy, like, you know, financial services and the connectors that you're building, then it doesn't make business sense, right? But I, I would imagine that could be hard for a smaller business and a, a business that's starting up, which kind of just want to have every different service line under their practice so that they have a bigger addressable market again. True, Ben, but yeah. Commerce cloud is one, vaccine cloud is another piece that we heard significantly during COVID, right? So we looked at all of these things. We looked at commerce cloud. The big thing that we're trying to do is commerce cloud is an acquisition of Salesforce. It's a great product, but it it is not something that's a bigger cost consuming practice on our side. And we don't have any expertise inside for commerce cloud. Ideally, we would want to have Again, marketing cloud, MuleSoft, when we're expanding, we already have resources on that who are supporting on our implementations. And we were able to expand with what we're seeing. But Commerce Cloud is something that is very appetizing, but the spend up front and also the way, the volume that Salesforce sells Commerce Cloud versus what we are working, that's what we focus on. Yep. It might be, but not today is what we decided. And then we, we try to stick to the Salesforce internal product ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Commerce Cloud is not Salesforce. Yeah. It's owned by Salesforce, but it's a different system altogether. Same thing with Marketing Cloud and MuleSoft, but they came a long way. They've been in the industry, because, but every customer we have in our industry need Marketing Cloud. 
or they need MuleSoft for integrations. Mm -hmm. That's what that's the bigger need that we look at to check the boxes. So versus bringing a new partner into the mix, that's going to muddy the water up. Yeah, I've really enjoyed the chat and you've given a lot of great insight around the running of a practice. If if anyone is listening and wants to reach out and just pick your brains or, or ask some questions, where's the best place to, to find you? They can always email me at my AGG email. And uh, Ben, I'm assuming you can put it in the notes. Yeah. Yeah. And are you on LinkedIn? I'm on LinkedIn too. Yes. Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much. Really, really enjoyable chat and uh, wish you the best of luck with uh, with everything that's to come with the continued growth of the practice. I really appreciate you talking to me, Ben. Thank you. Thank you very much. So that's a wrap for this week's episode. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the chat. And if you did, please make sure you have subscribed for future episodes that are coming through. I would also be very grateful if you would consider leaving a review on your chosen podcast platform as five-star reviews will help us to reach more trailblazers from across the world. I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon and thanks again.